the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. A few uh, reflections on current contentions, if I might. Last month was Jewish History Month. You remember seeing a lot of history on Jews, or for that matter, the Jewish state? Or, rather, see a lot of distorted history on behalf of Palestinian claims. Yesterday, the Arizona Republic went so far as to publish a Palestinian activist's op-ed, where she calls the founding of Israel the Nakba, a catastrophe in Arabic. Anyone know of any other country's founding that a newspaper would allow being called a catastrophe, especially, but regardless of, it being a country of a religious minority? All the while saying that country should negotiate with those who call its very existence a catastrophe? Seems to me it should be hard, if not impossible, to negotiate with those who want you dead. Not much to negotiate, really, is there? Except, I guess, the appetizer for the last meal. Keep in mind, we're to listen to those who call Israel's existence a catastrophe as the moderate camp, by the way. Just like that person who wrote the op-ed in the Republic yesterday, which gets me to something I meant to point out. As usual, we can make the clear muddy, and that is a great strategy of the left, the Marxist permanent revolution adherence. Recall, as old screw tape says, the purpose is to fuddle them. Almost all of the reporting on what took place over the past two weeks in the Middle East was misreported and fuddled, confusedly so. Words like apartheid were thrown around, words like racist and colonialist were thrown around, words like disproportionate and violation of international law were thrown around, and by thrown around I mean printed and stated in every magazine, newspaper, and on every cable channel covering the Middle East. And those words were printed without cavil or question. Much like anything that comes out of Anthony Fauci's mouth is taken as truth and fact without cavil or question, even though his story has changed on a great many issues, even as he admits he has deliberately misled the public for greater goods. Though we've known for years, for example, that almost every data point from the Gaza Strip comes from Hamas, spokesmen and officials, it seems the media has to relearn that it may be an issue when you take a terrorist's group propaganda and print it as news and fact. Maybe it doesn't want to relearn that, the media. It just wishes we ignored that that's what we do. But that is what we do. And here we go again. As just reported this morning in the Alga Miner, the New York Times is retreating from its claim made in a top-of-the-front-page, six-column headline story that the recent Israel-Gaza war left, quote, more than 250 dead, mostly civilians, close quote. Well, a correction published by the Times yesterday confesses that the paper can't substantiate the headline's unattributed claim. Quote, a headline with an article on May 21st about the conflict between Israel and Hamas overstated the death toll in the conflict, and it is not known 
whether most of those killed were civilians, close quote. Most were civilians was in the headline. They've pretty much, with the correction, just erased the whole story, no? Whatever number does finally get attributed to the fighting, we know a few things already. Most of the Gazan dead were not civilians, by a margin of 66%, and nearly 100 of the Gazan dead were killed by rockets misfired by Hamas. In any event, since the Jewish lobby is so strong in America, as I keep being told, now you know why there was such good history on Netflix and major networks during Jewish History Month, just like with Black History Month and other commemorations of those in minority communities. Oh, you don't remember that? That's correct, because it didn't happen. It doesn't happen. It won't. Instead, we get Nakba catastrophe, apartheid, Rashida Tlaib, and beaten up in major cities from New York to Los Angeles. So, in the spirit of fixing a little of the history, I give you Dennis Prager, who writes, If you've seen videos of recent attacks on Jews in New York City, Los Angeles, London, Miami, elsewhere, you may have missed a very revealing aspect of those attacks. They were almost always, as they have been for decades, accompanied by curses and shouts such as, F the Jews. Now, given that the perpetrators are almost always Muslim, whether immigrants or children of immigrants from an Arab or other Muslim country, two questions present themselves. Why attack American or French or British Jews, and why curse the Jews? In other words, given that the recent wars have been between Hamas and Israel, why aren't these attacks outside of Israel on Israelis and Israeli institutions? And why level curses at the Jews? The answer is this. The Muslims who seek Israel's destruction do so because Israel is Jewish, not because Israel occupies the West Bank and Gaza. First, the Muslim world sought Israel's destruction from the day Israel was established in May 1948, still calling it the Nakba, the catastrophe. And that was before Israel had a centimeter of West Bank or Gaza. Second, Israel does not occupy Gaza. Israel withdrew completely from Gaza 16 years ago. Third, the Palestinian rejected a state of their own at least five times. Rejection number one in 1937, the British Peel Commission offered the Arabs 80% of the area then known as Palestine, and the Jews were offered 20%. The Arabs rejected it. Rejection number two. In 1947, the Arabs rejected the United Nations partition plan. Rejection number three in 1967, in the course of defeating the attempt by Egypt, Syria, and Jordan to destroy Israel, Israel conquered the West Bank from Jordan, Gaza from Egypt, and the Golan Heights from Syria. Most Israelis had no interest in retaining Gaza or almost any part of the West Bank except for East Jerusalem, the Jewish city in which Jews have lived for 3,000 years, from 1,400 years before Muhammad was even born. The Palestinians, as the Arabs of Palestine came to be known, and all the Arab states, rejected partition and peace. Rejection number four in 2000 at Camp David. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak offered Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat a Palestinian state in all of Gaza, plus 94% of the West Bank with East Jerusalem as its capital. But Arafat rejected the offer. In the words of President Bill Clinton, Arafat was, quote, here 14 days and said no to everything, close quote. Rejection number five 
In 2008, Israel tried again. Prime Minister Olmert went even further than Barak had, expanding the peace offer to include additional land to sweeten the deal, and the Palestinians said no again. The reason for all these rejections of a state of their own was because it also meant a Jewish state in the Middle East would exist. The Middle East dispute has never been about land or the size of land. There are 22 Arab states in the Middle East. One would think there could be room for one small Jewish one. There is even a state with a Palestinian majority, Jordan. The issue is not land. The issue is religion. Why is Iran wholly preoccupied with destroying Israel? It has nothing to do with Muslim solidarity. The Iranians don't care about the Palestinians. It is entirely about hatred of Jews in the Jewish state. If the Iranians cared about fellow Muslims, they would be targeting China, which is accused of genocide against Muslim Uyghurs, a charge that includes forced sterilization of Uyghur women. But Iran would do business with China rather than condemn it. Westerners want to believe this is about land, in part because they are secular and think in secular terms, and in part because they need to believe that the dispute is only about land. Because then they can blame Israel. If it were about a Muslim desire to destroy the Jewish state, they could no longer blame Israel. Even worse, they would have to blame Islamic fanaticism. Other contention. Yesterday, President Biden spoke in Tulsa in a speech that mentioned the KKK a minimum of eight times. He said, among other things, quote, the flames from those burning crosses torched every region of our country. Millions of white Americans belonged to the Klan, and they weren't even embarrassed by it. They were proud of it. And that hate became embedded systematically and systemically in our laws and culture, close quote. Scott Johnson read the whole speech and concluded that Biden makes it sound like this is where we are today. He skips a few items, such as all history and civil rights law. Common though it has become to invoke systemic this and systemic that, Scott writes, Biden's indictment of the United States on the ground is unforgivable. The United States continues to attract people from every race known to man and from every corner of the world. Name a country that is our equal. There is a pretense in Biden's declaration that he isn't pretending when he says, quote, we do ourselves no favors by pretending none of this ever happened or doesn't impact us today because it still does impact us today. We can't just choose to learn what we want to know and not what we should know. We should know the good, the bad, everything. That's what great nations do. They come to terms with their dark sides. And we're a great nation. The only way to build a common ground is to truly repair and to truly rebuild, close quote. Well, as Scott says, good point. It's a shame that he didn't bring up the mania of destruction, rioting, and tearing down, which we have lived through with the complicity and support of Democrats all over the United States for a year and a half. That dark side doesn't come from 100 years ago, by the way. It's here today and present in this administration. Jason Riley at the Wall Street Journal gets the point just right. He says these historical milestones like the Tulsa Memorial are certainly worthy of commemoration. Properly understood, they demonstrate how much racial progress has been made in this country in a relatively short time. Yet for progressives and their friends in the media, the events are also an opportunity to push for racial preferences and bigger government. The goal is to link today's racial disparities to past wrongs and play down 
or ignore the far more significant role that contemporary black behavior plays in social inequality. That is the key to all of this. Past wrongs are used to play down and ignore the far more significant wrongs that are taking place now. When a national public radio reporter asked George Patrick Evans, Selma's mayor, how events of 50 years ago fit into the current conversation about race, he balked. He said, quote, and he's black, he said, I'm not sure how it fits. We have a lot more crime going on in 2015 all over this country than we had in 1965. Segregation existed, but we didn't have the crime. Asked about the city's high black unemployment rate, rate, he still refused to racialize the issue. Quote, well, from the standpoint of jobs, we have lots of jobs. It's just that a lot of people do not have the skill level to man these jobs, and that's the biggest problem we have, close quote. It's worth noting that the black residents of Tulsa 100 years ago didn't wait around for the federal government to come to their rescue. Within two decades of the riots, homes and churches had been rebuilt and black-owned businesses again anchored the community. The political left is much more interested in black suffering than in black accomplishment. But black history is about more than victimization at the hands of whites. Black Tulsa residents of nearly a century ago would also be shocked to learn that it is no longer racist white vigilantes, but black criminals who pose the biggest threat to safety in their communities. Liberals blame today's disproportionately high black criminality on the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, but violent crime among blacks declined in the 1940s, then dropped even further in the 1950s while remaining relatively stable among whites. In other words, blacks living during Jim Crow segregation and much closer to the era of slavery experienced significantly lower rates of violent crime and incarceration, both in absolute terms and relative to whites. How thus can it be a legacy of all that? The Biden administration would much rather discuss white criminal behavior in Tulsa 100 years ago than black criminal behavior in Chicago, Baltimore, or St. Louis today. But that won't save lives. If one believes black lives matter today or tomorrow, but then again, if one were serious about lives, all lives, black or white, Joe Biden and his party are about the last precinct to turn to, even when one thinks about the obsession of Joe Biden's, the KKK, it's not America that needs to apologize for the KKK. It's not Republicans or MAGA supporters who need to apologize for the KKK. Who does? Well, let me quote directly from PBS.org, public broadcasting system uh, station, in an article titled Grant Reconstruction and the KKK. Here is the opening to their essay at PBS. Quote, at the time of Ulysses S. Grant's election to the presidency, White supremacists were conducting a reign of terror throughout the South. In outright defiance of the Republican-led federal government, Southern Democrats formed organizations that violently intimidated blacks and Republicans who tried to win political power. The most prominent of these, the Ku Klux Klan, formed in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1865. Again, it's not Americans or Republicans who need to apologize for the past Joe Biden keeps bringing up as responsible for today's problems. And it's not the Jews who are responsible for terrorism and targeting civilians.
I'm Seth Loops. We'll be right back. Spend my money up until I'm down to my last dime. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. There's our good friend John in Peoria. Hi, John. Seth, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Where are you on the way to? Always somewhere interesting, I know. Well, I'll pick up a check today, my friend. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, were you able to... Uh, uh, distribute any of that material that I gave you. Uh, uh, if not, I want you to keep that all for yourself. Every um, you're, you're talking about some very special coins you gave me at our event last week, and uh, I had in mind exactly who was supposed to get each one, and they have been distributed. Yes, sir. Oh, you okay? I was going to say if you hadn't been able to do that. Oh no. I wanted you to keep it all for yourself. Oh, no, you're very kind, John. You're very kind, and uh, your service is... One uh, thing I want to tell you about that patch, I'm not going to mention the business, that patch. Uh, um, here's a funny story about it. It's actually uh, kind of uh, uh, relevant in a sense. Um, you, you know that flag, uh, the uh, rattlesnake. Yes, sir. Are you familiar with that, correct? Uh, obviously, yes, sir. The, yes, were you ever were you able to read any of that history that I provided? I, I, for I don't, you? I don't, I don't remember. Probably, but get, anyway, what, tell tell me the tell well, me. Anyhow, yeah, let's 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 get to the major story here. Uh, the Gadsden flag is what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, exactly. And here's the deal behind that. That was the first one, or one of the first ones, at the very uh, western edge of the frontier of the colonies at the time. And there was a Colonel Potter in that county that's on that patch, correct? Yes. And he was a part of the militia, and that was part of their uh, flag. And you saw what ben Benjamin Franklin said about uh, uh, sarcastically, um, either sarcastically or satorically, uh, uh, um, that <laughs> because the, uh, the British at that time, the king was sending all the convicts over to the, to the colony, and that's when Benjamin Franklin said we should uh, 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 we should send them rattle rattlesnakes back to England, and that's how they, they came to be adopting that flag uh, to a certain degree. Right, you know I mean? right, right, right. It, it more of as uh, a, as a retaliation, as I understand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the official associated with that patch in that county that's on that patch, he was a former Democrat, correct? Mm -hmm. And just last year, in the, during the election, he switched over to being a Republican. Boy, to make a lot of people mad. <laughs> and, and he decided to change that old patch of that association to that new patch. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. No. But it actually was part of in, in the news. And uh, No, it's a, it's a ton of history. I just love it. I just love it, John. I just do. Um, and you're very kind to do it. Always very, very kind to do it. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our good friend John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com. 
is his website, his show, The Word on Wealth, available every Saturday at 7 a.m. right here on this bat station. J.D., how are you? Fantastic. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> what's what's exciting in your world today? Markets? Uh, yeah, markets. Tax uh, policy. We talked about tax yes. policy yesterday at the yes. federal level. Okay. Right? Reducing the – or in this case, they're going to increase the margins from the Trump reductions. There's a plan the governor here in Arizona is touting uh, quite aggressively, which mm-hmm. is a reduction of taxes based upon the principle of the flat tax, taking us down to a uh, what a flat two tax and a half of percent. two and a half, two point five percent. Tell me what right. you think of, about these kinds of things, or the Arizona plan. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. It's kind of interesting as as we went through the pandemic. You know, there was a lot of COVID nineteen relief dollars that came into all the different states. And so the money that came in, um, a lot of that money probably hasn't even been spent yet in our in our um, in our state. Uh, but then last year, this this was passed where they put a 3.5 percent surcharge on our state income right. tax, right. which brought the highest uh, level up to 8 percent. Now we used to be relatively low in our our tax rates for a state tax, um, but once we pushed into that 8 percent tax rate. Uh, we, we're ranking there, uh, uh, obviously, a little bit higher and uh, more in the higher end rather than in the middle or even in the lower end now nationally. Uh, and that was a reason, again, for people to come to Arizona and invest in Arizona and to work here in Arizona. Uh, I think those are things that can hurt us. Uh, but with that being said, the the governor is really pushing this 2.5% tax, um, flat tax, uh, which would I think would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a caveat to that, which is this 3.5% surtax right. that was voted in could not be uh, eliminated. So there would really be the highest tax rate for higher income earners would 4. actually 5. be 4.5. Right. right. So it would right. be 2.5 and then 4.5. Interestingly, because this is always, oh, the rich are the only ones that are going to benefit from this. Well, that's not the case here. In fact, it lowers it beyond yeah. the lowest rate now, doesn't it? Yes. And for those you know, $150,000 right. you know, couples – uh, range uh, that is not a, a very high income today no. for a couple 150,000 but those uh, there would be many hundreds of thousands of families that would benefit from this reduction now the thought is is that the, there's not going to be enough revenue for the state to be able to cover other uh, needs and the biggest ones that are concerned seems to be uh, school budgets teachers incomes children's programs but there are things in this plan that the governor has uh, also brought up that could you know, would cover these these areas, maybe not as much as people would like. So uh, obviously there's more that's going to go on here uh, when when they come back to uh, it would It would up, I think, quadruple. There was talk of quadrupling the child tax yes. credit mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think touch uh, 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 moving the standard deduction to yes. what, line with yep. inflation. So yep. there's a few of those in there. But I, I, you know, I worry about a, a state like Arizona now, which was kind of a jobs state, taking its tax rate up into the uncompetitive area of eight percent. Yes, That's and, just, and exactly, I agree with yeah. you totally. Now, if we think about this, and then also you've got the you can't proposed, have tax revenue without taxpayers. That's right. Then you have the federal tax rates we talked about yesterday. Right. I mean, these are some big numbers. If you're going to be in a forty, you know, forty-three percent tax bracket for your capital gains, and eight percent tax bracket for your, um, yeah, you're over 50% you're, easily. Yeah, now. plus yeah. all the other taxes yeah. that we pay on right. everything we consume. Right. This is really uh, could become a tremendous burden on the average family. And, and I know that we need revenue to run our, con- our country and to run our states. But I think we all can agree that 
oftentimes uh, these additional programs that are put into these uh, budgets uh, and are, are just way out of uh, any type of realization of where that money needs to be allocated uh, for the average people out there or the people in need that really need it. Well, I happen to think you know, the flat tax such as this one, if done right, John, uh, as a proponent of these things for many years, I think if done right, it can create enough um, enough revenue and enough growth to cover what we need. As we say, you can't yeah. have revenue without taxpayers. Yeah, and the thing is, is Arizona, we know, is growing exactly uh, rapidly. Right. Yeah. We don't want to stop that. No. We want to keep the growth coming. We want to exactly. keep our tax base increasing, not decreasing, exactly as you mentioned, right. well which would help us. Nicely said. All right, Seth, uh, Securities and Advisory Services Office, Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, typically an investment advisor, Grand King Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. And if folks want to get in touch with me, go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. Thank you, guys. Love you, John. Talk Love to you, you later. Too. I'm Bye-bye. Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. This is a song by John Sebastian, who was of the Love and Spoonful, Darling Companion. His song, Welcome Back, Cotter, for the TV show, is now on a, some ad that I can't get out of my head. Do you, can you see if we have John Sebastian singing Darling Companion, the song he wrote? I wonder if he did a version of it. Often they do. I want to stay if I – well, I'll come back to the anti-Semitism issue in a moment. There's a lot more to say about it that I uh, want to say. But before we do that, I have to acknowledge that we may be seeing the end of Anthony Fauci's esteemed status uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, perch on Mount Olympus coming down just a little bit. This uh, release of these emails that had been um, undertaken through a Freedom of Information request, it seems to me people are still – news organizations are still going through them. There's a lot there. What we're finding um, out now is not terribly surprising, I have to say, um, given those of us who have watched Anthony Fauci from the beginning with at least a small dose of skepticism. Um, we're finding out, however, other things. Um, so maybe no surprise, since Rand Paul was on to this a while ago, that Anthony Fauci was very nervous and uh, trying to cover up funding to organizations uh, that were run by uh, what you might call um, non-government organizations that subcontract and fund things like the Wuhan um, uh, virus lab. So, for example, uh, this organization EcoHealth, which is run by someone Anthony Fauci knows, uh, EcoHealth is run by a guy named Peter Dazak, who... Um, there are some now emails between Fauci and Dazak last year about trying to um, cover up and curb what Rand Paul was talking about, which was uh, funding, uh, in fact, funding the virus lab with American dollars and uh, using uh, the kind of research that uh, Anthony Fauci um, promised and swore that he was not funding. That's called the gain-of-function research, the kind of research which would have been involved most likely if the um, Wuhan virus was released from the Wuhan Virology Lab, which people are increasingly coming to say. So there's that. Another interesting thing I saw 
And again, I don't expect much accountability if if uh, Chris Cuomo can have his job after all he's done with his brother in breach of journalistic ethics. And if for that matter, Andrew Cuomo can have his job after everyone, including his two seniors, excuse me, his two state senators have called for his resignation, if he can still keep his job. Whatever happened to that, by the way? Boy, there's just nothing on that anymore. Nine women, nine women accused him. Nothing on it anymore. Totally gone. Um, but if 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 the Cuomos can keep their jobs, other reporters are going to keep theirs. So we saw, for example, an ABC reporter uh, promising in an email to Anthony Fauci she would make the interview easy on him. She would not put him in an awkward position. All this kind of stuff it should make the profession gag, the profession of journalism gag for forcing Fauci on us so much, even after now he's been – um, he's been he's been given admission to he's admitted to misleading the American public. Never mind how wrong he's been about things, including masks. I had a friend today text me. Did Anthony Fauci just say masks were not effective? I had to write back. No, no, not today. He didn't. S- last year in private emails, he was telling people that the masks are ineffective because of the microcosm size of the filter versus the virus. What do you got for me? What? Oh, you have a, a Fauci out montage? Should we do it? I don't know. We can, we can come back to that in a moment. Let me just make the point that... I don't know. There's, there's usually some degree of political satisfaction in knowing you were right when everyone else was telling you you were wrong. And there's no satisfaction here that I want or think appropriate or even have, as I don't think Heather does or Dennis has or the other critics of Anthony Fauci over the last year and a half. There's no I told you so here. Uh, There really isn't. And the reason there isn't is um, we're not going to strut over public health and it won't do any good anyway. It just won't do any good anyway. I mean, there's this whole effort that People are making to get Joe Biden to admit that Donald Trump created the vaccine. At this point, who cares? I, I, do, I mean, do we expect more? And what would happen if Joe Biden said, as he keeps intimating now more and more, that it wasn't his doing but Donald Trump's? At what point does it matter? In three years from now, are people going to say, well, we were right about X, Y, and Z, and they were wrong about X, Y, and Z with regard, regard to COVID. No, that's not going to take place three months from now, three years from now because it's not going to take three, place three months from now. And you know why it's not going to take place three months from now? It's not taking place now. We have known all these things for a long time. I started publishing at Fox News on the virus probably seven pieces around uh, March. I probably started in March. Heather was just the first. She was just about a week ahead of us. And I just think that we're going to muddle through this with um, perhaps more news on vaccines, perhaps more backtracking from Anthony Fauci, perhaps shifting goalposts from Joe Biden, who's now talking about a summer of freedom. Thank God he's finally found another use of the word freedom. Uh, in the context of patriotism, other than wearing a mask, 
I just think they're going to slowly move on. What's interesting, though, to speculate about is why the media went after Fauci today, why the Washington Post would go along with printing all these emails uh, today. And um, I don't know is the answer. I don't know. I wonder if it's an effort to turn over an entire new leaf with Joe Biden taking credit for uh, the emergence from COVID and let's just get rid of all the backwater and bathwater of the previous regime and anything that looked negative like Anthony Fauci. Perhaps, perhaps that's it. I don't know. I don't know. But um, but as I say, he's not on Mount Olympus today as he was eight months ago. I also found a little precious his emails talking about how much he wishes he weren't a celebrity. This the man who's posing in his backyard on the cover of, was it was it Vanity Fair or one of those magazines, if not Vanity Fair? All the interviews, all the Sunday interviews. I mean, there are ways not to be as um, attention-getting as Anthony Fauci was, if you want. You turn down a few things here and there. Or, or you speak honestly rather than politically. And he didn't do either. Uh, Let me just say one more thing about anti-Semitism real quick here. Um, Interesting story. Um, If you haven't seen it out of Google, a company you've no doubt heard of, they actually have a a position over there called the head of diversity, um, vice president for diversity. It's run by a man named Kamau Bob, B-O-B-B, Kamau, K-A-M-A-U. And uh, there's some interesting comments of his uh, that were um, just uh, released. Participating in a symposium, if I were a Jew, why anyone would participate in that, I have no idea. He says, if I were a Jew, I would be concerned about my insatiable, insatiable appetite for war and killing in defense of myself. I would be afraid of my increasing insensitivity to the suffering of others. My greatest torment would be that I've misinterpreted the identity offered by my history and transported spiritual and human compassion with self-righteous impunity. That is to say, having suffered in the Holocaust, creating the same crimes and engaging the same crimes that the Nazis. We've heard this for some 50 years now. I'm surprised it's coming out of Google. Kamau, Bob, I looked up the name. I just didn't know what origin. I thought it would be interesting since we're engaging in collective guilt here. It's a Kenyan name. Kamau means silent war. I don't know why a man whose name is Silent War is talking about how he would be embarrassed over the um, insatiable appetite for war and killing that evidently all Jews have. Meghan McCain had had quite enough. Here's Meghan McCain today. The statement, um, I want you to imagine if the statement was uh, any uh, black people, Asian people, LGBTQ people, any minority, quote, has an insatiable appetite for war and killing and an ins- insensitivity to people's suffering. Now, this man is the, in charge of diversity at Google. So if you're a Jewish employee of Google, I can't imagine how you feel right now. And after the events of the past few weeks where we're seeing huge numbers of rises in anti-Semitic hate crimes in this country and globally, it's very strange to me that Google, who was 
espouses itself to be, you know, the most progressive, the most inclusive companies uh, on planet Earth or in Silicon Valley, that you have a head of diversity that if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it looks like you probably hate Jews or at the very least have some serious issues with your anti-Semitic rhetoric. And I am just quite frankly exhausted with having the conversation over and over again about why anti-Semitism is the last passable form of bigotry in the United States of America. Every woman on this show has an ancestor and a family member who fought in World War II. My great-grandfather died four days after signing the end of World War II on the USS Missouri. Now, right. all of our ancestors weren't out fighting Nazis to have this subtle anti-Semitism starts seeping its way back into the American public's lexicon, which is what's happening right now, and we all know where that leads. It leads right. to the extermination of Jewish people. So, Google, I, I implore you. You should, they should at very least be putting out a statement because if they said this about black people or they said this about Asian people or LGBTQ people, he would be fired already, and he's not, which says that Google's okay with a little bit of soft anti-Semitism. As evidently a lot of Americans are, particularly in the Democratic Party. Congressman David Schweikert coming up next. Migrants, illegal immigrants is another way to put it, are being housed at a Scottsdale hotel. Do you know about this?